This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. A thousand, thousand greetings. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We will be discussing Book of Lost Dreams, the first supplement for Changeling the Dreaming 2nd Edition, which came with a sweet storyteller screen, as well as a few of the other ancillary introductory material things that were around at the start of the edition. Okay, yeah. Book of Lost Dreams, uh, written by Ian Lemke, Roger Gaudreau, and Steve Herman, with a bunch of other... A bunch of other people saying things. Yeah. And it's got like www.white-wolf.com, alt.games.whitewolf, and Rec Games FRP Storyteller to check them out online. I, I kind of like that because it really speaks to the fact that this was printed in 1997. So it's at that inflection point between like Usenet is the only internet and then the World Wide Web. It also has a general style of layout that I thought was the art house era, looking at it. Like the way it's black and it's, it's a black and white supplement. And the first one actually for Changeling, which yeah. is a little bit heartbreaking to think about. <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, there's more changeling. There's more color supplements after this, so it's kind of well C twenty, but no, I mean, I mean the second edition. I well, yeah. So the Knocker and Seder kiss books. Okay, really. is that the only one? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I guess they were already in production by the time uh, this rolled out. Yeah. So this is sort of like a spillover book for the second edition core book, is what it says. Hmm. And I'm glad it's a proper book this time because Book of Storyteller Secrets, by comparison, was paltry. Mm -hmm. But it's all optional. I mean, there's a lot of mechanical stuff in here and references to other stuff. They talk about the Autumn People and the Book of Storyteller Secrets and all of that. Uh, and World of Darkness mm -hmm. Combat, which had recently come out. But it's all overflow yeah. and or optional stuff. And it's very optional, I'd say, for second edition. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh... I have to say, I always find Paul Phillips's art, the anatomy and often the content, it makes me uncomfortable and I can't put my finger on why. But we have him in the openings for each of these chapters. Yeah. Well, the cover on this one's, I sort of remembered it as the book where it's like, I really didn't like the cover, but. I think the cover's fine. I think I just don't like that troll head. Okay. That's fair. I can accept that. But he's got yeah. those sweet 90s tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. It's just his head. Right. <laughs> And if you look carefully, there's a Mage the Ascension flyer on the signpost behind him. Mm. Yeah, I like that much better than the Paul Phillips, like, weird circus drawing at that opens chapter one. Mm. Anyways, there's a lot going on there. But chapter one, The Awakened World. Yeah, this is divided into five chapters. Well, the intro plus four chapters. So Yeah. So we start with chapter one, The Awakened World, which is where we get all of the crossover stuff. So it's crossover mechanics and also just kind of some general notes on how the changelings deal with the other groups of supernaturals. And I like how, you know, it provides setting information in addition to the hard and fast mechanic stuff, as well as occasional little tidbits that seem mm -hmm. like pretty important 
universe notes. So, yeah, I, and I I really like the setting bits because some of the mechanic stuff makes me go what? Yes. Like, for that. example, the first one we get. <laughs> yes, I, I I have to assume the mod. Okay, so it's this modifier where it's like if you're enchanting a prodigal, it lasts longer for prodigals than for mortals. And it has the longest lasting, easiest to enchant being technocrats, including virtual adepts, and the hardest being tradition mages. And marauders. Oh yeah, and marauders. Yeah, No, oh, yeah, marauders, technocrats, and chiasid. And then traditions are the hardest ones. And I'm like, I think they flipped the technocrat in tradition, but... Yeah, I think that it must have just been like a an ordering error or something. Like they put them alphabetical and then went, yeah. oh crap. <laughs> yeah. So we get some general notes about how the Fae behave when dealing with the prodigals. And there are some pretty obvious things like they tend to call upon the weird a lot because obviously they want to be as impressive as possible. And Mm -hmm. particular groups among the Fae align with particular prodigal groups, which we've seen before. We've heard things like the Shadow Court hangs out with the Sabbat, the Fiona hang out with the Fianna. There is the note here that the... She have had pacts, have long had pacts with the Silver Fangs and the Order of Hermes, which I don't know. Has that been referenced elsewhere? Do we know? Order of Hermes stuff, I think, even gets referenced in Mage slightly. Mm. Silver Fangs, I wouldn't know. And there's a whole sidebar about the Silver Fangs one. Yeah. Is this the one that created the whole Get of Fenris? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, again, it might be in Werewolf somewhere, but I don't know Werewolf as well. Yeah, I find this one hilarious. Yeah, th- th- those who don't know, there's a big story about how uh, the Gedefrenrits have, like, hate most Kithane, especially the she, but they're okay. They're cool with trolls. Yeah. And and Nunehe. Well, the, but the troll explanation and the she hatred is, like, because the she used a bunch of Gedefrenrits' riding mounts for a while. Hilarious. Makes me wonder how they're going to work that into Werewolf 5, but I guess they aren't, so... Anyway. <laughs> well, apparently they never work that into werewolf. I believe it. I, I, I've i checked online with, with werewolf people and they're like, gone through and they're like, there's nothing about this in the werewolf. Yeah, I, I believe it. <laughs> I like the note about their anachronisms as well. Like the she were last on earth in the 13th or 14th century. So they might be, if not on the same power level as elder vampires, they're at least in the same frame of reference. But I like thinking about the sort of awkward encounters that could lead to, like a she walking into a vampire Elysium and saying, Whither are your Cappadocians? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. They give us some general story hook ideas, the best of which is almost certainly the requisite cult of ecstasy, satyr, accidental orgy. So, Yeah, I hope that's what an orgy, actually. The other implications are more disturbing. <laughs> yep. Then we get into specific groups of Supernatural and how they feel about Changelings and vice versa, beginning with the Vampers. Mm-hmm. I am a little sad that this is kind of a cut-and-dry book by comparison with um, the final chapter of the core book where we had these like beautiful stories and origin myths for the different prodigals. And here it's just like, okay, this is how it is. I think this is material that we do still need to run the game, but I liked those stories so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got the chemistry effects on the dreaming, which is nice, although has maybe could have been explored a bit more if that was going to be a thing used in a game. I feel like, of all things, it pops up in the revised Ravnos clan book. 
Yeah. If, if I'm remembering correctly, there's a whole sidebar about it and how it affects the Fae. But I mean, what it boils down to is they can make Chimera with their illusions. Yes. And then Malkavians are unaffected by the mists and kind of can become addicted to Fae blood, which I mm-hmm. suppose is interesting. It does say anyone can be, but just the Malkavians, maybe because they don't aren't affected by the mist, are more prone to like remember what it was and want to do it more. Yeah. Oh, and also, if you are wild enough to try and amuse a Malkavian, the difficulty of all reverie rolls involving them are reduced by one. Mm-hmm. Probably the easiest to do a crossover with. Yep. Well, orc acid. Those are pretty easy. Yeah. Well, they're fairy vampires, therefore. But I like the note that they can be found at Slua T. Mm-hmm. Well, they're also, in my experience with vampire players, it's almost harder to do Chiasid crossover with vampires, so. Yes. I recognize this having played a Chiasid and knowing what people say about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then we get some mechanics going the other way, like Slua can see through Obfuscate as they would with their piercing of other illusion magics. If a kindred uses Auspex 2, they'll see the sort of rainbow patterns in a changeling's aura. Mm-hmm. And then Blood functions as a hallucinogen and sometimes causes weird bodily effects to vampires. Yeah, and don't let the Tremere get your blood. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. And it says flat out that fairy souls are snuffed out by the embrace more often than not. And then if a changeling actually survives, they're immediately claimed by the mists. The Fae soul is within permanent stasis until the kindred suffers final death, releasing the soul for reincarnation. But if a Kithane turned vampire gets enchanted, they remember their Fae life for the duration of the enchantment, and then the mists come and claim those memories again. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's actually a really strong story potential thing, but also a very difficult one to role play and hash out exactly how that would work. Yeah. So. But I guess now there's also Megar, and that's also an option. We also have yet another art piece of a noseless red cap. <laughs> so. Oh, wait, that makes sense as a red cap. I was like, is that a weird Nosferatu? No, wait, why would they have a zipper in their forehead? I just assume it's a red cap, because if I see a vaguely humanoid thing with, you know, industrial yeah. jewelry and no nose, it's a red cap. That's when you find out it's a particularly adventurous issue, and then you're like, well. Or Toreador. Yeah. And then we get some opinions from changelings. Mm-hmm. From one from each of the standard kits. Yeah. But yeah. Vampires. And then we get the werewolves with a picture where we go, wait, should it be Bastet? Look. <laughs> oh man. I love the Bastet. Yeah. But this is like a I'm assuming this is a cat puka supposed to be in the picture, but Yes. So, as always, the werewolves are kind of pointed to as the ones that have the closest relations to the Fae. And there's this sort of implication that cairns and freeholds are kind of interchangeable in terms of the energy, which I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I can understand the natural places of power, like glades, are, you know, where both groups might want to start their freeholds or cairns. But I feel like once those things are in place, they kind of become not fungible well, or whatever they say they're usually not they, they say that the two places can't tip it like aren't typically the same one but maybe werewolves and changelings could get together to make them both mm. yeah there's a sidebar on the kin which is like oh. 
It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> what is this? Almost feels like a revenant family. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they go so far as to use the word stuck, which yep. it just makes my flesh crawl. It's a very werewolf. Yeah. This is the kind of thing, again, I'm not a huge werewolf fan or player, but it does not bother me at all if this kind of thing has been cut from 5th edition. Yeah. But if you do want to use it in your game, I mean, I guess so, as long as everyone can handle it. And Yeah, it starts getting to like percentages of birth and stuff. There's a way to reframe this of there are some families that are just have a lot of werewolves and changelings in them and kinfolk and kinane. Yeah. But yes, the, the phrasing here, it's like three out of ten births become a giver. I'm like, I don't want those numbers. Like, No. Well, and then of the other seven, between one and three will be kithane. And the rest may yeah. have kinane powers as well as kinfolk powers. So it's just like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of individual groups... The Shadow Court hangs out with the Black Spiral Dancers. The Nunyahi hang out with older brother and younger brother. House Baylor's rumored to have ties with both the Fomori and the Black Spirals, etc. Fiona hang out with changelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, and importantly, they protect the she from the get, which I think is amusing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like the idea of a Fiona and a get of Fenris going head to head because the Fenrir wants to kill the she and the Fiona are like, yeah. no. Nah. But they also stepped aside during the Accordance War because they're like, ah, we're not touching this one. Again, I don't really mind the get being cut, but I understand why people are fraught about it, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, they probably could have reworked it, but that's a whole other... Yeah, that should be on the back of every White Wolf book, probably, or most of them. They probably could have reworked it. Yeah, but that's what I think. This is like the one time where they cut it instead of not reworking it. Well, no, sometimes they rework right. them and they're okay, but... Yeah, yeah. But especially stuff from this era. Yeah. Like the Ravnos. Yeah. We have a sidebar on whether or not Fomori are actually related to the Fomorians, which, like previous material, clears up exactly nothing. I read this as, I like it. Actually, I like this stuff because they're like, the way it's written to me, it always reads as like ironic and being like, no, of course they're not the same, but but lots of Kithane think they are. I suppose. I do like the note that the nobles are, are like, oh... Well, House Baylor is checking on this, and they they swear that yeah. everything is fine. Yeah. And again, more story hook ideas. And then we get crossover gift rules where you're like, okay, our whole thing of, like, both our opinions, the Dreaming is not the Umbra, and Chimera are not spirits, and these rules somehow <laughs> support both sides of that argument at the same time? I'd say it's generally in line with spirit stuff crosses over with chimerical stuff. Yeah, You know, generally speaking, if you have a gift that allows you to perceive and interact with spirits, it will function similarly with Chimera, generally. Yeah, but it's also clear that Chimera are, like, it uses words very distinctly for spirit and Chimera, and it's not exactly the same effect. So it's like Chimera are halfway to being spirits, maybe? Sort of. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also notes here that... A kithane soul inhabiting a human or kinfolk body precludes the possibility of the first change. It blocks the mystic connection to Gaia. So no, you cannot have a changeling Garu. Yep. But then changelings who are actively in their famine are not affected by the delirium. So that helps with crossover. Yeah. But if you go through the forgetting, you are. Or even temporarily. Right. If you've been chimerically slain and you're waiting to wake up again. Yeah. Or just banality has been getting to you pretty bad lately. Yep. 
I notice in some of these quotations that they have from each Kith, we do see a couple like previously seen names. So Runcible Shaw, the Puka, Duke Dre, and Duke Topaz contribute their mm-hmm. opinions in this section. Yeah. But that's the werewolves. It does make shifter a term in game, which is like, mm. <laughs> mm, yeah. Which is fair. I mean, because I do like when we get the little scraps of in-universe commentary because it does show you how the characters would talk about these things that the players are talking about. Yep. I just I always saw that one as like maybe maybe it's totally canonical, but I always thought that one was like like World of Darkness play would be like, oh yeah, those supers when they're talking about any of the various game lines. But we'll also say shifters. Hmm. And then we have mages. Yeah, there's some interesting history things that have implications for Victorian age mage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. I'm going to just read a little bit here. I'm just going to go for it. So the context here is the technocrats are on the rise, or I guess at the time they were still the order of reason, and it's talking like Enlightenment era post-shattering. So then we have, this large-scale ravaging precipitated the time of the greatest changeling in mage conflict. The era commonly called the Industrial Revolution had just begun. The mages, feeling that their doom was nigh, marshaled as many occult forces as they could. This gathering of resources included taking glamour from the last few shared freeholds. The Kithan at this time, already fighting for their own existence, fought back against the willworkers. Throughout the world, alliances were broken, freeholds drained, and enchanted mages sent it to madness, which they referred to as quiet. The greatest battle raged in the city of Boston, where a motley of trolls cornered the remnants of an order of Hermes Chantry, with spell-breaking artifacts clenched in their horny fists. Oh, oh. And that's an awkward phrase right there. They advanced. When the smoke had cleared, one troll remained standing and the rest of the participants had vanished. Word of this conflict spread and the mages learned quickly that they were no longer welcome in Kithane Holdings. Now, <laughs> I do not recall any reference to this anywhere in any other Changeling or Mage book in the history of either line. Correct. That being said, I'm happy to roll with it because... It gives credence to the whole mages kind of nebulously saying, oh, changelings are bad news without explaining why. Mm-hmm. And it also, it fits with Jonathan Strange and Mr. Gnarl in an interesting way where I feel like you could kind of connect the two. So I like it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And uh? yeah, definitely the Boston fight itself is like very easy to bring in, I think. But the giant battle across yeah. where Kit Thane and at least some of the traditions are active. That's a bit out of nowhere. Well, I'd like to see a chronicle where this is kind of set against the backdrop of the Napoleonic Wars or something, mm-hmm. you know, like Regency era urban fantasy, which does exist and is a whole subgenre. When did the Industrial Revolution start? Oh, it doesn't matter when it actually started. This is a White Wolf book, but... Um... Uh, I think if you'll recall from the sidebars in Isle of the Mighty, it started <laughs> at many points. Because I'm just wondering if you could do like a combine that with uh i i think of thinking of changeling historical settings a dark one would be french revolution that would be interesting stay tuned to storytellers vault is all that i'm gonna say and oh there's a sidebar here on the nefandis connection which is cool yes. as long as you don't take this as canonical how nefandi work in mage yeah i i generally don't use nefandi ever so i'm fine oh, with okay. it working just like this okay but basically house a little can sense them yeah yeah, I've, I've used them before, but I don't get into... Actually, it's never come up... It's never mattered what they actually are. It matters what the PCs think they are. But. 
and what they do. Mm, yes, it's important too. But yes, for anyone who does want to have a Nefandus and a House Elil She run into each other in a game, the Elil can sense the Nefandus if they're within 100 yards by rolling Perception plus Kenning difficulty 8. So take note. Mm-hmm. We get some... Again, faction-specific descriptions. I found it a bit strange that they refer to the technocracy as the hidden ones, both because when I think hidden ones, I think Alibatin, and then also because the technocrats are the ones whose paradigm is kind of the most open and dominant one and representative of banality that they're constantly struggling against. So I guess the implication is they're hidden behind. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to identify them by, like, looking at them kind of thing. Like, they're the least... I guess so, yeah. Yeah. And there's interesting implications by saying that uh, changelings are part of the Verbena paradigm, or the Fae are. Yeah, well. Yeah, you wrote a book about that, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that these few pages here very heavily informed the fairy faith storytellers of all mm-hmm. supplement. Aside from the Verbena, we have a note that the Hermetics were overjoyed when the She came back because they saw it as a sign of returning magic to the point of giggling and clapping their hands like children. Mm-hmm. I love that image. That has to be canonical. I suppose, in, in yeah. Page. Giggling, like, especially older hermetics. Yes, with beards. Yep. And then the dream speakers, because this section is pretty insistent on spirit being the sphere of record when dealing with the dreaming. Yep. And again, I am fine with M20 shifting it to mind. I'm fine with deferring to mm-hmm. that, at least for mage purposes. But... um I don't know. I still think from certain points of view, spirit is acceptable. I prefer it mostly being mind as well with like opening a physical pathway to the dreaming. I mean, that still makes sense as spirit, I think, regardless of that. Yeah. There is also the note here that changelings can't use true magic because the fey soul inhabiting the changeling's body has forced the human's avatar into permanent slumber. Which is a little bit different from the way the soul and the body relationship was presented in the core book. Yep. So I'm not sure what to do with that. It also implies that every human has an avatar. So. Yeah, but I think it also, yeah, it also implies that, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer ch- maybe changelings don't have an avatar at all. But hmm. Then we get some more outlooks. Queen Mab chimes in. Mm-hmm. And that's the mages. And then we've got the wraiths. Yep. This is pretty consistent with what we had before, I think. Yeah. Although the whole changelings deal with the ghosts the least out of everything, except the slua, which deal with them the most. They used to have more Ishu connection. Other books have more Ishu connection. We have a whole origin story for why the slua can perceive yeah. them as well. Which, like all of these origin stories, is like, that's a great story to have in your game. <laughs> it's a story. Which is kind of predicated on one of their number, or a kinane of their kind, named Glam. And I like Glam the Sluikinane as a canonical character. But that takes up most of the section. Yep, we have that. And then the crossover rules, which are pretty consistent with what we've had before. C20, if you were using this for some reason. I mean, Ownermancy becomes a bigger deal with Sandman, because they both inhabit dreams at the same time, which they don't have here. Mm. There is a little bit here about the Sandman. If they're patronizing a Cathane's Dreamer, then it increases reverie or ravaging difficulties. And then they can use, the changeling can then use Kenning to kind of realize what's going on here. And then Grimaire or Lore to identify what the problem is. Again, kind of a baked-in story hook. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know Wraith well enough to, <laughs> to comment further. Yeah, no, I was just saying, in C20, because you have Ownermancy, 
being in the same actual dream instead of having to be your own dream, like that just has even more crossover potential, like of an actual story thing. Hmm. I do want to say, as a final note, uh, my favorite named Slua character is Elspeth Danvers, who's in the second edition core book as well as the person giving stereotypes from the Slua. And here she also chimes in about ghosts. So she is the Slua keeper of antiquities. <laughs> Good for her. So then chapter two, cantrip confusion, because apparently cantrips are hard. Mm-hmm. This gives a bunch more guidance on bunks, which... I do think was helpful and would be, I think this is even more like somebody read this along with 2E and other things from playing. And I think this is where C20 really does well is explaining bunks. So but this is like, it takes you further there to a good explanation from where this, what's in the second edition core book. Yeah. Do you use the banal bunks optional rule where people can't just keep using the same bunk over and over? Mm. Because I sure do. I, I wouldn't say I use the rule exactly like as written because it's a bit too like i don't but it's more like yeah 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 i would say like if you keep doing the same bunk it's gonna be less effective and i sort of let them know that if they start doing it but it it usually doesn't even come up but Mm -hmm. i just like having people invent you know as much as they can so yeah, it depends on what level of bunk. If they're like a level one bunk, I'm going to let them reuse it more than trying to let them reuse a level five bunk. That's fair. Yeah. But they can probably also come up with level one, new level one bunks much mm-hmm. more easily. What I do like about this is they define the important factors in determining the level of a bunk are the amount of time it takes to perform and the creativity of the bunk. What's missing from that is the C20 angle that seems to be if it's dangerous, like it involves personal risk or personal investment, something like destroy a precious object you own or something. I like the addition of those factors in C20, but I feel like they muddy the waters a little bit too much with respect to the two factors in here, because it almost seems a little unfair to say it's a level five bunk if you do like a tarot spread every night for a week, all night. And it's also level five bunk if you jump in front of a speeding car and then jump away again before it runs you over. And I can't figure out to whom it is unfair, but I feel like there's some kind of disparity that I can't identify there. Here's the thing. If you read through the actual examples they give instead of what they said, there is some of that investment at least bit too and danger, like break a mirror and examine Mm. the shards versus cut yourself and sprinkle the blood on the ground. Those take about the same amount of time. I suppose that's true. Yeah. And Wayfair 5 is leap off a cliff while flapping your arms and hope the cantrip works, Mm -hmm. which is always fun to throw at people. But this is also kind of rehashing what the player's kit did in first edition, where there was the booklet of just bunks. So it's good that it's in here. More example. Maybe it's kind of a question, too, of which, which mood you want in your game. Like, do you want personal risk to be something that comes up a lot more often? Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, all right. Chapter three. If you can explain to me what's happening in the opening art to chapter three, I will be grateful. Nope. Okay. (laughs) I don't even know what the thing that that she's holding. There's a giant she face and then there's a skull sticking out of her hair. But it looks like it's supposed to be decorative except for it's dropping down liquid out of its mouth and then a satyr is holding a bowl? 
I think it's a piece of the helmet from the skeleton in armor in front of her, which is also a satyr. But she's trying to keep it off the skeleton, I think. Yes. The dripping stuff. And she's backed up by presumably her oath circle, which appears to be like another she with a polearm, maybe some kind of puka with a bokken, and then another puka doing the thriller dance behind them. I think that's a bat puka, a she with a sword on the ground, and another satyr with a polearm. It's hard to see the legs. In any case, your guess is as good as mine. So, uh, yeah. Moving on. So this is the advanced storytelling chapter. And I don't know. I think there's some useful clarifying mechanics here about the way it starts with the, the way fey mean and mortal seeming shift and are perceived. And we do get a new yep. fancy term, which is retrorse, which is how older fey refer to a changeling whose glamour drops beneath their banality, causing their fey mean to slip behind their mortal seeming. I like stuff like that. There's the banality stuff from... It says the Autumn People, but I think this is actually the stuff that was eroded out of Autumn People and then re-included in the Player's Guide, if memory serves correctly. Mm -hmm. But it gives you some thorough description of what humans are like at banalities 5 through 10. So this, this, yeah, this seems like almost like an, this was definitely, I think, was helped inspire what we get in C20. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole list is actually kind of included in there. It's consistent with, but not the same text, I don't think. Oh, okay. Yeah, that might be. I think the undoing section is also taken from Autumn People, more or less. Like the quote mm -hmm. uh, rings a bell. And the fading sidebar is definitely from Autumn People. So yeah, lots of stuff that happens to banality. I think the most useful part of this actually is the social aspects bit at the end where it explains how Kithane respond to their really friends and loved ones becoming undone or fading away and how there's this like culture of silence around it. There's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Which, again, self-promotion. I borrowed some of that for Book of Days. Yeah. There's one bit about the forgetting that I actually tweak in my games a bit. Oh. Instead of forgetting who you're, oh, like Oath Circle or Motley or whatever, friends, right? Yeah. I have them rework the memory of who these people are. Hmm. Oh, it's like, oh, yeah, that weirdo from college kind of thing that I hung out with. I like that. I'm into that. Especially depends on the banality, which might even be more of a gut punch than forgetting entirely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and C20 makes the point that if you try to reawaken someone who has truly fallen into banality, doesn't it create like a glamour black hole or whatever? <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Or maybe that's Harbingers of Winter. I can't recall. So then we get three fighting styles for Changeling because World of Darkness Combat had come out not long before this book, and yet had very little support for changelings beyond saying, sure, use legerdemain while you're fighting. So I have not read World of Darkness Combat in several decades, so reading this was extra just funny. Like, I don't really understand what it meant, but, yeah. but I like Pando. I can't figure out if Pando is supposed to be some kind of pun. Like, is it? I think so. It seems like it's supposed to be, but I don't know what it's punning. It's also the Sealy version, whereas the Unsealy one is called Beast Fighting, which sounds like a Transformer spinoff. <laughs> ah, they needed a Puka one. Yeah. 
Well, and as I've often said, this is something that I'm earmarking for future homebrew potential. I want there to be a Chloricon fighting style that incorporates their ability to teleport in an instant when nobody is looking at them. Yeah. Nightcrawler style. Mm-hmm. I had a, ran a game with a character who was a Chloricon who managed to join House Skahawk and then get the martial arts from like, there's a martial arts Skahawk here. Oh no. And then later, yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's that's where it came from, too, because <laughs> here here it's just a list of maneuvers from the combat book. And then in Book of Lost Houses, it gets spun into this entire, like, ritualized Irish myth-inspired whatever. Yeah. Ugh. I tried to get one passed by a storyteller at one point, and he was like, no, for a... I don't know why I had this idea I was of a bogan martial art based on tai chi i don't really remember why i thought that was a good idea but uh i've i've heard worse so so then we get some unseely houses which yeah fun fact the first character i ever played in a game online was leon and she and i learned everything i knew about them from mm. this book i mean at first at least how'd that go over i i loved it i i mean i thought it was great fun because i was what like 14 and <laughs> you've talked before about your yep. kid playing a Baylor she you know, this was my version of that yeah no i can i can see it yep but thankfully their flaw has been updated here from the shadow court where they only need rhapsody once per month instead of once per week which is goofy so mm-hmm. otherwise it's pretty much in line with the other house descriptions like the ones in the core book. We have descriptions of why they were exiled and who their high Lord or lady is. So that's cool. I really like high Lord Eleanor who's 70, even though she's only been on earth for like 30 years and she's just like clinging on mm-hmm. to her famous. Then we get the new background trod, which I had forgotten wasn't <sighs> in the book when we did the two, two E core book. And this is, well, the dot levels certainly are taken verbatim from Nobles the Shining Host, which, if you'll remember, were so arcanely complicated that it needed a table on the show notes. Mm-hmm. The funny thing, too, is in our core book discussion, you and I were talking about, oh, yeah, you know, just play with someone kicked open the back door to the freehold and you can just go into the dreaming if you need to. And here it starts with mm-hmm. some storytellers have noted that getting a trod for free with the holding background is pretty powerful. And I think, who are these storytellers? Who decided this was well, necessary? <laughs> I think there's a big difference between having a trod and entering the dreaming. Yes. Well, absolutely. I, I think having having an entrance to the dreaming without a trod, I'm like, if my player characters want to go through that, I'm okay with it, especially if they're all going through it. So I don't have to like, yeah. it's like, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> but at the same time, having a trod with your holding, I don't think it's so overpowerful because they're so bloody hard to open, you know? It's oh, like, yeah, that's true. I did, also scrapped that rule, so that's why. Well, I mean, that's the alternative, right? It's either scrap that rule or add this yeah. background, I guess. I don't know. Like, because there's rules here for when the trods are open. It's like, okay, what about you have the trods open from that and you don't need to do anything, but if you want to go another time, then you have to do the other thing. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. I just think it's a waste of background dots. And I do think yeah. C20... I'll have to take another look at Book of Freeholds, but the way that they handle incorporating trods into your freehold, I think, is a little bit more robust. Yeah. At the very least, it should be in that. Whether or not the system works, I haven't computed. Yeah. I will say, I feel like that trod background at the end, it's like 
the dark lining to an otherwise very silver cloud because I think this chapter is wonderful. It it really has some very useful information, very efficiently and yet fully incorporated. So mm-hmm. but that's chapter three. Yeah, and then we have a picture of okay, what kith is Han Solo in this one? Uh, uh, Seder? Hornless Seder. No, he's got like he's got regular legs. Yeah. The art just unsettles and confuses me. Although I do like how the Puka's cloak pin has a little smiley face. Yeah, everything's in slightly the wrong position, like the anatomy. Yeah. Do you ever see like people, like artists who like look at, take a picture like from comics or something, particularly egregious picture from comics, and then like show what it would look like from a different angle. And you're like, ah, (laughs) I feel like that would happen with a lot of this art. You know how when you're, when you learn how to draw bodies, you start with geometric shapes and then kind of fill in the details. Like that's the, one of the methods. I feel like this is not, has not completed that process. The bodies are still very geometric. (laughs) Anyway, it's a style. It's a choice. But this is what opens chapter four, Capture the Flag, which is an introductory adventure for second edition, which we did not get in the core book. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have that here. This is the sort of adventure I'm okay with. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit railroady, but I think it's, you know, as a first adventure, it's still fine. But like the basic, the basic concept of go get a thing. Yeah. Like, it's clear, like, it's not like the players are going to change what it means to get the thing. You get the thing or you don't, like the MacGuffin chase, you either get it or you don't, right? Like, it's, yeah. maybe it would have been nice if they could have traveled into the future and listened to Ken and Robin talk about stuff, go through, like, how to do <laughs> mysteries, but in investigations. But when all else fails, a MacGuffin is usually fine. And, and the first edition, the other introductory adventure, Toys Will Be Toys, from first edition core book and the second edition version that we'll talk about in a moment. That's also kind of a MacGuffin, except you're chasing Chimera rather than trying to literally capture a flag. In this case, the Count's Pennon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, imagine being able to stay in a shady inn, no matter how shady, for $20, $29 a night. <laughs> Those were the days. But you get a full buffet of sort of changeling inflected story beats to hit. So it's like, swear an oath, visit a CD video store, stay at a shady motel, roll politics multiple times, read notes that have been strategically left in motel rooms for you to find. Shocking twists, like, you know. It needs some fleshing out, but skeleton-wise, I think it works. Yeah, intimidate the most easy-to-intimidate person ever. Right. <laughs> Drink tea with an issue who has a spider plant, you know, and combat boots, yeah. judging by the art. I mean, that's issue. <laughs> It's fine overall, I suppose. And I would rather use this as an introductory adventure probably than Toys Will Be Toys because it has a little bit more nuance to it. You know, it's not just, oh no, here's a bad guy, chase after him. Both the protagonist and the antagonist kind of have motivations and have backstories, which is always nice to see. Yep. And then we have some personalities in the game. Chancellor Piper Gaines, honorable nobleman. Yeah, he's the Dougal that had the thing stolen it's nice to see a dougal get lead. no no he's not no he's the chancellor right okay sorry the chancellor of the guy who got the thing stolen yeah interesting i've never seen a chancellor as a knight before and then we get oliver crest the satyr who is straight up satan judging by this art and yeah he's a plotter and a ne'er-do-well 
We have Liliana Shannon, poisonous vixen of uh, Elanud. When did Sex in the City come out? Because <laughs> I feel like she's straight up a Sex in the City character. Yeah. Uh, it came out. No, oh, you're after this. Oh, all right. Well, just was just in the zeitgeist. I guess so. <laughs> then we have Douglas Bender, who is an unseelie grump boggin mechanic type. His picture looks so knocker, though. I suppose, but it could go either way. He looks like an actor, and I can't remember which one. Like, there's an actor who looks exactly like that. And then we have uh, Nikki Moore, starving artist Ishu. She's my favorite. Wait, is she the one with the spider plant? Yes, it says she has the boots. <laughs> there you go. And then the maybe unfortunately named Cracker, a knocker punk. He's a career petty criminal. Mm-hmm. I don't quite get why he's a knocker. I guess just to have something more interesting than yet another Red Cap or Slua villain. Yep. And then Bonnie, the Koi groupie who's a cat puka, who's a possible reincarnated reborn she. So I guess they brought in the um, Kith Book Slua theory into this. Chipmunk puka, isn't she? Oh, she's chipmunk? Oh, I thought she was cat. Okay. Well, it says her chubby cheeks make her face somewhat reminiscent of a chipmunk's. I think that's the implication. Okay. We then get to the ads, and it threw me for a loop that the ad for Wraith the Oblivion 2nd Edition uses the art for the Unseelie Red Cap from the Shadow Court. Yep. It's great art, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I guess that, that Red Cap became a I Wraith. I think it's supposed to say, your Red Cap gets killed with cold iron, you can still play him. Yeah, probably. Which nobody I ever know ever has ever actually done that with Wraith in another game. Yeah. But you could. Then we get some vampire novels, because this was the era of vampire fiction flying hard and fast onto the shelves, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the vampire, the masquerade CD-ROM for Windows 95. Did this ever actually happen? I don't remember this at all. I don't know, but I want it now. Yeah. Like, so how do I get a copy of this? It's apparently, I guess, digitized versions of several of the vampire, the masquerade books, complete with... A city generator, character generator, document generator for in-game props, screensaver with the art of Timothy Bradstreet, hypertext links, how quaint, for easy reference to important terms, rules, and powers, and a word find feature that instantly locates any word in the language, which I don't know how to parse that last sentence, but okay. Also 3D maps. Yeah, like this is awesome. Would that every game had gotten that? Or possibly any game. We don't know if this came out. Right. And then lastly, perhaps most excitingly, we have an ad for the as-yet-name-unchanged Aeon coming in November 1997. It's hard to even see, though, because this is black and white printed. Yep. And that's... There we go. The book. I really like the little stained glass icon with the key that they have on the back here, too. So what are your thoughts on this book overall? I think it's really solid. Something I yeah. like about it is it really does feel like an overflow book for storytellers in the sense that it's the kind of stuff that would only come up after you'd already been playing for a little bit. And it's all at least storyteller yeah. facing. So it works well, I think. It's the kind of book, if C20 hadn't happened, I would actually say this book's very important to get. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't use it, and it would be very. I mean, there's little bits, but there's it wouldn't be nearly as useful in a C twenty game. But. I half agree because 
yes, a lot of it has been incorporated into C20, but I think there's enough left over that would still be valuable because C20 doesn't really go mm-hmm. deep into like interactions with prodigals. And an introduction adventure is useful wherever. You know, some people might not want to use the C20 quick start adventure. Mm-hmm. Here's another option. And it's not laden okay. with stats. Oh, and there's definitely no combat maneuvers. Well, yeah. So I think it's still I think it's still a worthy get. It was packaged with the storyteller screen, so I think it's maybe more worthwhile to get the physical copy if possible. But PDFs are mm-hmm. out there and will be included in the show notes. Actually, yeah, I have, this is one of the books I have a physical copy of, but I don't know if I've ever actually seen the second edition storyteller screen. So, oh. like in person, I will include a photo of it in the show notes. Okay. So that's the book of lost dreams. Then we also have a couple other items to talk about. So in tandem with the core book, and really this, the book of lost dreams and the storyteller screen came out around the same time, August nineteen ninety seven. But there was also a booklet called the Introductory Kit that was released and is now freely available in PDF form on DriveThruRPG and Storyteller's Vault. And that was a quick start for second edition. And it also came with a second edition update of Toys Will Be Toys, the sample adventure from first edition core book, as well as six sample characters. And this was also available for download online at the White Wolf Changeling website. So what are your thoughts about the introductory kit? Let's dive on in. I think, I mean, a lot of the text is just literally from second edition core book and whatnot, which is fine. It's got a simplified system, which maybe it's a little bit too simplified for me to want to, would want to run even as a like little one shot or something. It's hard to tell in retrospect, you know, because I didn't start with this introductory kit. So I'm trying to imagine it from the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who would, and then what the learning curve would be advancing to the second edition core book. And I feel like it hits the right level of setting detail, but maybe doesn't make it clear mm-hmm. enough how simplified the mechanics are because they are really simplified. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's even, it's not the core mechanics, not even the issue. It's the like, okay, it's like, so there's no bunks. Yeah. Very expensive glamour wise although it's very easy to get glamour and then there's no like chimerical damage that's a simplification but like yeah i feel like they could have simplified combat a bit more and then put back in chimerical combat for instance like there's a little that's fair i would i would agree with that and a lot of the material though it is the kind of thing which i'm thinking back to our initial mini episode for this podcast about sort of the essential terms that we would want to share with prospective players regardless of edition and i think that that's what this mm-hmm. document is kind of in the spirit of so it's important to yeah. know what glamour is what banality is what chimera are what kits are but you don't necessarily need to know what all of the powers of all of the arts do and like there's no realms in here it's like yeah you can no. probably get away without realms for the purposes of a one shot yeah it's it's actually yeah, now that i think about it i once had somebody interested in playing changeling but they were the kind of player from a, a different kind of role-playing tradition where they want he wants to read everything in the book <laughs> before playing. Yeah. And I was running C20. So then I didn't have that player after he took a look at the C20. I'm like, I could have handed him this maybe and been like, do you want to play this game? <laughs> like, and then there's expanded. Well, there, and there is the C20 quick start as well. So, you know, it's... Okay, yeah. I don't think I've read that. We'll get to that later. Yeah. 
I think it's a sensible idea overall. And, um, and there are little tidbits in here, which I think are actually unique to this document. There's a note that Summerlands is the term of record where the dreaming was unified with the autumn world, for example. And I'm like, did that come up before? I thought Summerlands was like a werewolf term. <laughs> I think of the, all the art in this, I'm like, yes, that is key changeling art that keeps showing up in editions. Like, I'm like, every picture in here is like, yeah, I, I would have been able to have been like, yes, that is in the two ecor. Absolutely. I know it. I know I can describe to you what the section is about. So yep. I wonder if all of it's on the store available for storytellers of all. Th- this is, yes. I mean it's all part of the art packs. Okay. So we have like sidebars about Silly and Unsealy. We have write-ups of the kiths. One of the simplifications they do is they have a birthright and a frailty, but then also an aptitude, which just gives a flat plus one to certain types of roles. And I think that that's mm-hmm. probably sensible for a quick start. Issue are a bit overpowered, I think, maybe, depending on how you interpret their aptitude. but Probably, but their birthright is also comparably weaker if you're doing a one-shot. Yeah, that's true. It's just plus one to all social interactions. but Yeah, well, Puka get plus one to subterfuge, so depending on the type of game you're playing. Redcaps get plus one to intimidation. Yeah, I guess I need to know what a social interaction is. Trolls get plus one to combat, so... If you're running a combat game. Yeah. She get plus one to commands and to all social. I guess I don't know. I just need to know what a social... Are all social in traits, usage, social interaction? Well, if we skip ahead... Oh, okay. So the way that the character creation is set up is you basically, instead of having 753 for your attributes, you get, what is it, 13 dots to divide among physical, generally social, mental, and willpower. So you don't roll charisma, you roll mm-hmm. social. Yeah. And then you don't really have abilities, you just kind of have your traits. So it dramatically simplifies mm-hmm. character creation. I'm okay with that part. Yeah. And then it gives you many examples of combat maneuvers and sort of contested roles that you might make in an example of play. Difficulties are pretty low all around cantrips are just basically fire off some glamour and it works so mm-hmm. i think it's fine as like a very very basic yeah. overview and as long as anyone who's handed this recognizes there's still going to be a lot of reading and learning to do once you advance to the core book okay i did think of one thing that it definitely needs is banality there's a sidebar <laughs> it, okay, it needs some sort of role to or i guess they don't have roles to avoid banality never mind but again, banality is something that arguably is just that'll come up in the long run over an extended chronicle because ah, that's true. Right? It's kind of like giving someone paradox in a one shot. It's like, well, what's the point? Yep. Oh, I ran revised mage, so well, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yes, I see your point. So then we have uh, connected with that. Toys will be toys, which is basically word for word taken from the first edition core books final chapter so that introduction adventure where you're chasing chimera Mm -hmm. around san francisco and the only real change is that the chimera and main antagonist have additional stats that follow the introductory kits method so yeah i don't think we need to go over this one again nah again it's an intro adventure if you want to have a chase one shot there it is yeah so sample characters Yes. This is worth it alone to get the canonical names for all the pictures from the 2E <laughs> core book. 
Like Jack Nicholson, the Red Cap. Yeah, he's named Edgar Hallow. Yes. We have Edgar Hallow, then Edward Halifay, the Knocker Wilder rich kid explosives expert, with his very fine mm. voile, boggin tailored. Yep. Oh, one thing to mention these rules, these come with their birthrights using the quick start rules. Yes. And then they have a character sheet using the 2E rules. Yeah. Which... Without clarifying, that's what they're doing. And inconsistently filled out character sheets as well. I always thought this mocker was very seely, but I guess not from the picture. He could go back and forth. It's allowed. Then we have Iris Martin, the bird puka. Ishmael, the issue. Is it Ishmael's like a moniker, right? We'll call me Ishmael? Yeah, mortal name, Jason Turner. Oh, okay. Then Milton Sedgwick, the boggin who's a grump former professor, politico, and used bookstore owner. And I think maybe the only example of a changeling who's explicitly in his 50s, or one of the few mm. at least. I mean, obviously David is up there now. <laughs> yeah, who also looks to be in his 50s. Yeah. yeah, but Milt crystallized late. So, And then we have Willow the Seder, who reminds me of one of the people from Shattered Essence. <laughs> Interesting. But... I won't ask which one. Oh, no, the picture was. I think she may have ah. used this picture for her avatar or something. Oh, okay. And her real name is Ashley Emberton, but I guess Willow is more more fun for a drifter fostered by nobles. But yeah, it is also, I mean, each of these, it's the same text. That's the write-ups for the kiths in the quick start, and then just a couple paragraphs about character at the end. So, And then they left out a troll. Well, they left out a troll, a slua, and a she, because who would want to play any of those? Yep. But I suppose that's the motley one is supposed to use for a quick start. That makes sense. Or for Toys Will Be Toys. Because notably, also, Toys Will Be Toys references the Immortalized Chronicle, but doesn't mention any of the Oathmates or any of the sample characters from the first edition core book, like mm-hmm. Morgan and Tor and Lee and Edmund. They're not here. So I think this is maybe mm-hmm. also the last time we ever see that reference to that. But yeah, so that's the introductory material for second edition. I'd like to briefly also give a little bit of context because even though this was available as a physical booklet, it was also freely downloadable from the, at that point, still rather new White Wolf website. And there's something to be said there. I don't know what, but there's something. (laughs) And it was the time when the White Wolf forums were starting up. The magical end of the 90s. Yeah. Did I get on those? It wasn't too much after this. Probably, by 99, was definitely on the White Wolf one. Yeah, I think 99 for me, maybe 2000. Because I remember doing it before I moved to Ottawa in 2000. So, Do you think that there's a certain, not timelessness, but a certain remove that these documents in particular kind of have? Because like, I feel like 90s web stuff, pre-social media, you know, social media and the way we commonly talk about it, it exists in this other sort of state, you know, internet 1.0 or potentially digital web Mm 2.0 that just feels different or I guess felt different because it's long dead. (laughs) Well, I'd even put this in the same as like my live journal days. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very social media. Uh, I was listening to another podcast and somebody was talking about old internet and he's like he wish he could go back in time and tell him it's going to be not what you think when (laughs) everyone goes on the internet exactly i i don't know why but this just gives me vibes of that period in time you know maybe because 
none of the changeling write-ups, none of the character descriptions here mention any of that. You know, none of them have smartphones, obviously. None of them are online. None of them, even the knocker, I don't think, has a... (laughs) He does have Computer 3, so maybe he is, but it's not part of the ordinary, everyday experience of most people in society. And it's weird to think about Mm -hmm. that wasn't that long ago, you know? Whereas with C20, I feel like that's deeply implicit in the way it approaches these things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Some of the C20 issues might have been they didn't update it enough. Maybe. It's like, it feels like it's, it was too long. You're saying this wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was how many? Well, 25 years. 26 years ago? 25 and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not like it was yesterday, but when you consider C20 at this point is now several years old. Yep. But I think maybe this could have still voted when C20 came out. Uh, Yes, that potentially. Anyway, it's food for thought. Something to bear in mind as we move into talking about Mm -hmm. C20. We are also getting it. Yeah, second edition. I'm just saying we're starting second edition. I never. That is because I started with second edition. Mm -hmm. I'm just realizing we're now getting into. I have more of these books in person. It's supposed to be in the PDF, but it's also more. Oh, this is the game I played. Like we Mm -hmm. used first ed supplements. And I think Changeling, this comes up. I do think it's important to like not just think all that matters is the current edition. Yeah. Because it's like you only get one Kith book. You don't get multiple editions of Kith (laughs) books or anything. And things like that. But first edition, there's a lot more books where that had already been superseded by stuff in second edition by the time I started playing. But there's a lot of second edition stuff where it's like this formed my understanding of Changeling. Right. When these and I remember some of these later books even just coming out, but even the ones that I'd been out, it's like this was in the game, first game I played, used stuff from this material is gonna come up a lot, I think. So I think that's also part of what I might be pointing to when I'm talking about the internet thing, because this edition was also released into a landscape where you could more likely count on fans talking about it directly to each other, you know? Because the White Wolf mm-hmm. forums and the website allowed people to find each other more directly than first edition Changeling had. In in theory, I mean, I'm, I, yeah. I wouldn't know firsthand because by the time I started playing, second edition was already, you know, probably already slated for deletion at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, Well, I was 14 when the book came out, and I think I started playing when I was 17, which is a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started playing Changeling in high school, by the time I finished high school, Changeling had ended. So it's like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, change, change... Depends what I mean by Changeling had ended for me. Yeah. It's too... Well, it's, regardless, it's a walk down memory lane, certainly. Yeah. So we do have two questions on the Discord as well, which were submitted by Fetch with 12 minutes to spare. So, mm-hmm. But very briefly, does the book talk about the Fianna? Yes. The Chiasid? Yes. House Marinita? No. It does mention the Hermetics, but doesn't go into that granular level of detail. The Fianna probably have the most, the Chiasid a fair amount, and then Hermetics just that they giggle and clap their hands sometimes. And then interesting interactions in cultivating glamour from the prodigals. Yes, as we said, Malkavians, you get a bonus if you try to muse them. And then I guess the enchantment multipliers is an example <laughs> very interesting with the yeah. with the who knows the the you knew the hidden ones were that easy to enchant right typos aside i do think a multiplier given that this is like a, a point of glamour per day temporary enchantment system i do think a multiplier makes sense just 
the numbers should be yes. more carefully edited. So yeah. Yep. And I guess that's about all of the supplemental introductory material for second edition that we're gonna talk about today. Mm -hmm. Next up, Kith Book Knockers. Hey. Yay. That's gonna be fun. Like actually gonna be fun, I think. Fun and fraught in equal measure. Yes. And some of the fun is the fraughtness. Mm. Shall we outro? Yeah. So you can find us on our website, changelingthepodcast.com. You can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. We're on Facebook as Changeling the Podcast. We're on Mastodon. Give Send us a toot at changelingpod at dice.camp. And we have a Discord link. What's the Discord link, Puka? Discord.me slash CTP, standing for Changeling the Podcast. And all of these links will be included in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. And uh, once again, I'm Josh. The secret archives buried under Taranar suggest that I am Puka. Yeah. Oh, also, I want to find that CD-ROM. Oh. <laughs> well, well, let's put it out into the world. That CD-ROM is somewhere out there. And if you know where it is, let us know. Yes. Now, until next time. Uh... Rhapsodize responsibly. Laters. Our deep dive this week has suggested to us that dreams are never really lost, they are simply misplaced, or rather, deliberately placed into an overflow book. If you find that your dreams have been lost, try retracing your steps. Did you wash your pillowcase recently? Have you checked behind the radiator? Have you tried turning your subconscious off and then on again? When all else fails, we suggest reaching out to our crack team of Oniromancers, who are on call 26 hours a day to handle all of your somnolescent needs at bargain prices with minimal brain damage. Don't settle for anything less. Meanwhile, we'd be right tickled if you managed to settle for leaving us a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, joining our Discord community at discord.me ctp, or signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com changelingthepodcast to help us continue bringing you changeling content. In addition to other benefits, patrons get a shout-out at the end of each episode like so. Derek, Dorchadas, Oreo, Grauzgabuz, Sanchiger, Sija, and Terry Robinson. Many thanks to all of you for listening and supporting. Meanwhile, I recorded this entire outro with my sinuses in open rebellion, and I'm off to meet them on the field of battle with copious bowls of soup. So until next time, keep on dreaming. Here come the outtakes. There's also so many typos in that part of the document, I have to say. <laughs> oh, I don't notice those usually. Well, at one point they have, like, chenagliang the dreaming. And you're like, oh, what game is that? <laughs> That's a new podcast we need to do. Welcome to Chen I think that's like Chenagli in the podcast. Come from the Glomores. If I were the drinking type, then I would drink a bottle of something and then do that podcast. Uh... Anyway. <laughs>